0: Everybody, good deal, y'all out there. There's a few of you out there. As Pastor Tiffany mentioned, we're starting a new series today called "Making Change," and over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four um, things that we feel like we've drawn from from the Word about God's way to handle your finances. And it's this: less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. And today, I think Pastor Steven scheduled his surgery on this week on purpose, because who wants to talk about less is more? Nobody. And so, I'm actually honored that they would allow me to come up here and talk about this, but um, it's kind of a touchy topic. You guys have any friends in your life who get to say hard things to you, but you know they love you, and so you kind of receive it anyway? I'm your friend today, even if you don't know me, and so many of these things that I've seen over the course of my life, Of course, the word we know is true, but when you've seen it play out in people's lives over and over and over again, you just can't help but want to help people understand the things that I think the enemy has tried to distract us on. And so, there are so many things in our lives, um, of course, we're going to focus on finances, but there's so many things in our lives where we want different results, but we don't change our method, right? Like, there's so many people that walk around thinking, I don't like the way I look, necessarily, but we don't... Stop eating, we like the bad things, we keep continue eating the things that are making us look that way. But how many of you know that if you want something different, you have to do something different and so if you 're discontent with something or it 's not working out for you or it 's causing frustration, the smartest thing to do, especially in the area of your health, would be to eat well and go to the gym. Well, the same thing with finances: God has a plan for your finances coincidentally, there are more scriptures on finances and wealth and prosperity and his plan to prosper you than there are on heaven and hell. And I'm not suggesting that it's more important than eternity, but I am saying that God has something to say about it, and what he has to say about it is that he wants to prosper you. And so today, we're gonna, um, I'm going to confront you with a little bit of truth. You can cry or throw things, whatever you feel like you need to do. I'm okay with it, um, because I care more about your long-term health than how you feel about me. I'll sing to you again later and you'll forget that I was ugly. But honestly, there is something that, that, you know, there's so much scripture about this. And God actually says something to us in I think, what was it, Romans chapter 2, verses 4. It says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You guys know that scripture. God's kindness led the majority of us to repentance already. But I think we stop short if we stay there. It's God's repentance or God's kindness to us led us to repentance, but his kindness to, through us, should lead others to repentance. And the area of finances is one of those ways um, that it really matters. You know, I think this is one gonna be one of the easiest topics to kind of just write me off or write whoever the speaker is off that week and say, hey, I'm okay, because really I'm gonna be coming at you strictly with two things, the word and some statistics. You might not fall into the statistics if you're lucky, Um, But a lot of them cover about 80% of people. So I'm going to go ahead and hinge on the fact that it's talking about most of us. Um, But something that I do know is that God's goodness should be coming through us. And there's a pattern that we've seen in the finances of the believer that looks very similar to the unbeliever. There actually is no statistical difference in the area of finances. And so I want you to see this, that there is a path for your prosperity. But what we see every day, the devil's distorted. And he's kind of convinced us that we can get um, the good life a different way than God's way. And you see that all over the place. You can see this Instagram, um, highlight real prosperity is what I call it. And this is a lot easier in front of a lot of people, but I'm going to still say it anyway. Most of us are intelligent enough to know that sometimes... Instagram is not the full truth, right? Like you can see where somebody's posting a lot of pictures about their um, vacation that they took with their spouse and how amazing it looks, but we know that their marriage is terrible, right? Like you know that it's just a joke. Or you see that they put that, that brand new car on there and you're like, didn't they tow the last one away? Like I'm happy for you, I really do, but there's this thing that we do with Instagram and social media just in general that this generation has to be honest with themselves about is it's not true. It's half of the story. Um, and, you know, sometimes we actually take the word that way. We read half of the story, and we're like, oh, victory! And we short-circuit the idea that there was a process that got them there. And so that's what the enemy has done. Prosperity was God's idea, and we can only truly achieve it God's way. And there's scripture for it. It's not just my idea. It says in Proverbs ten twenty two that the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Most of us know wealthy people, um, and a lot of times they're just as miserable as the rest of us because they short-circuited God's way. And so today, I really want to talk about it. I'm going to ask those hard questions, and I want to really, hopefully, challenge you to think about this part of your life because God wants you blessed, but he doesn't want sorrow added to it. And here's the first point if you're taking notes or you can get it on the app. My first point today is that slavery is not your destiny. And I know we don't use the topic, the the concept of slavery anymore, and most of you are thinking, well, I'm not a slave. What is she talking about? Here's where the painful statistics show up. So as I was studying, I came across this concept called the five-year path to slavery. And most of us graduate high school or college, and we start this path to slavery. in a few ways a variety of ways some of us started in college and we actually came out with student loan debt I came out with ten thousand dollars of student loan debt Um, my parents covered a majority of my expenses but I'm okay with the fact that they left me with a little bit of pain because it forced me to get good grades you know like I valued what I was going there for because it was costing me a little something and I'm okay with that Um, but when Josh and I got married I graduated in December of 2006 I think and we got married in September of 2007 I came into marriage with $10,000 of student loan debt. Something else that happens thanks to Pinterest is most of the time if you did get married straight out of high school or straight out of college, those jokers cost like $20,000, $30,000 a pop now, right? Like if you look at any wedding, they're ridiculous. And so, so many of us are fortunate that our parents paid for that stuff, but there's a few of you that have gone into your life and started your dreams and your adulting um, in that kind of debt too. And so, we were actually fortunate enough, they paid for our wedding, and then we got married, and we moved um, out of state, and they gifted us both of our cars, right? So they just signed the titles over to Josh and I both, each set of parents. And we had great vehicles. They were probably still running today. I know his is. Um, and so, but what, that wasn't good enough, right? So the very first year of marriage, what did we do? I went and traded mine in, and I upgraded to a newer, nicer car, and I also inherited what? A payment. Exactly. In that five-year path of slavery, typically we do it at least one car. Sometimes many of us have done it with two different cars. And then we moved back here and we rented for a little while, but the natural next progression is to own the house, right? And so we built a house and then we got a mortgage. Fantastic, right? But I wasn't done yet because I'm a woman. And you can't just have a house without furnishing it, right? 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 So I've probably been through so many couches now, it's ridiculous, because I can't just find what I like. But then you furnish this house, and um, before you know it, what started off as this dream of um, adulting and and being on your own and financial responsibility being something that, because when you're like 18, you're like, I can't wait to get out of my parents' house and do it my own way and all of that, and it evolves in about five years into your dreams being, dear God, please help me to make the mortgage payment at the end of the month, right? Right? Yeah, and so here's what happens too is then we're stuck in jobs we don't like and we're miserable because all we need to do this week or this month is to make that payment. You don't think that you're a slave and you may be right. If you own a business right now, you're gonna get out on the first two, but here's the reality. A slave is this, someone who is legally owned by another person and forced to work for that person. How many of us, Every single day we wake up and somebody else tells us what days to work, what time to come to work, what time we can take our lunch, what time we can leave, um, when we're allowed to have, how many vacation days we're allowed to have, when we can take those vacation days. The majority of us, right? The rest of us, we live in houses we don't own, we drive cars we don't own, um, and believer and unbeliever alike, the statistic is the same, um, which frightens me a little bit, but we're Wearing clothes that we financed on credit cards, we're eating food that we bought on our visa, and nobody's thrown anything yet, but it's almost there. I feel it. Um, and if we do have the ability to send our kids to college, 95% of the time it's gonna be on student loans. And so you don't think you're a slave because we don't use that terminology, but I guarantee you if you don't send your payments in over the next few months, the rightful owner is gonna show up to take what belongs to them and I don't want this to be condemning, I really don't, but I do want to open your eyes to some of the things that I think the enemy is actually trying to convince us, is the norm. Um, I don't think that it's God's plan, and, and you can see if you were here for the, the series when we talked about generational diversity, this is one of those things that kind of ebbs and flows, like you'll have a generation that's really fiscally conservative, and then you'll have the next one that, that is in debt, and then you'll have one that's kind of in the middle, that's paycheck to paycheck, but not in debt, and it just ebbs and flows, but for so many of us, statistically speaking, we're, we're living in an age where we've accepted less than God's best for our finances. God wants you free, but the world system wants you enslaved. And my point number two is this, that ignorance is an option. Uh, when Carson, I sent her the notes last night, she came to me this morning, she's like, did you want it to say ignorance is an option or ignorance is not an option? I said, no, unfortunately, it's an option. It's an option. And, and this is in every area of our life. We can stay ignorant to certain things. You know, I found that a lot of people have strengths in certain areas and weaknesses in others. Like, sometimes we're really strong on the financial side, and we're terrible on the healing side. Or, you know, but ignorance is always an option that we have as a believer. And this scripture was really, really, really um, eye-opening for me, even though I've heard it a hundred times. But I've never heard it in relation to finances. It says this in Matthew ten sixteen. It says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Well, if we're going out like sheep, we've always thought of that in like a spiritual sense, like they're coming to get us because we love Jesus, right? Well, yes and no. In this case, he's talking about there is a world out there that wants to keep you in that financial bondage, that wants to stop you from being able to live in God's blessing and walk in the fullness and for the, the goodness of God to come through you. And so we've got to be honest about some of these things that we're the sheep but there are wolves and if you don't believe me I'm going to prove that one to you statistically too how many of you this week uh, checked your mail and you had a credit card offer yeah every time it's been like everybody Um, the older you are the typically the more you get when I check my dad's mail I'm getting like five or ten a week Um, they're like after him um, and so here's the thing that I know after studying this, that 4 billion of those went out in the U.S. last year. And that's not even the worst year. In 2006, I believe it was, 8.1 billion offers went out in the mail. Now, here's why. That cost them 50 cent apiece to print it, mail it, all that it, it takes to get it to your door was about 50 cent. So last year alone, credit card companies invested $2 billion to get those into your mailbox. And how many times do we most, I would say the majority of times we throw them away, right? It doesn't stop them. I get one from Wells Fargo every single month, probably for like 10 years, right? But they realize that if they keep putting it in your box, that eventually you're going to feel pressure in your finances, and you're going to turn to them when you need them. And this is why it's worth it. Because the average interest rate on a credit card in the United States is 21%. And the shocking part is the average household balance is $16,800. I think it's 880 to be really specific. So that's a trillion dollars in credit card debt at 21% interest. Come on. I'm working for the wrong people, right? Not really. I'd rather treasure in heaven all day long. But these guys are not stupid. They're not playing ignorant. They realize that That they can catch you in a weak moment and they can support themselves off of your bondage. And here's the even worse part: so if you stop paying that thing today, like you never charge another thing, and you make the minimum payment on that credit card, it's going to take you 22 years to pay it off. I know, like I'd be 55 years old. I'm not even going to have my next. This child will be out of the house before I would pay the before I would pay the credit card bill off. Right? That hurts my feelings. How about those um, 90 days, same as cash, right? Buy it now, pay for it later. Guess what? Statistically, 80% of the time, people don't pay it off in time. And they're paying accrued interest that is actually even worse than the credit card. It's usually about 33%. And so you thought you were buying a washing machine, but you were buying a washing machine and a half because you actually got sold a lie. When really, you probably could have saved for three months and felt that pressure and bought it cash but now what's happened is they've made it easier for you to have it right now and so what you thought they were selling like Lowe's looks like they're like a um, like a discount hardware store right it appears that way but it's not the truth that's the means to the end they're a credit card company (laughs) mattress stores credit card company how many women I guarantee you can answer this question right now you've walked into TJ Maxx you're checking out Every single day time you check out, they say, would you be interested in our credit card today? You can save 20% every single time. It's not about the clothes because they've discounted the clothes, but they know if they can get you to buy it on credit, they're going to actually get their money back and then some. And so we've got to be wise about these things. Ignorance is an option, but we've got to be shrewd is what the word says. We've got to be realistic about the world that we're living in, and they're not here to see you succeed. I don't mean to be ugly about that, but they're here to see themselves succeed. Ignorance of God's ways is going to stop the flow of blessing in our lives. It's an option, but I know you're here today because it's not the option that you want, and so I have a better alternative that I want to present to you, honestly, in the third point of my message is this that trust always precedes the triumph you can see this um, in the life of the israelites you can actually see this from cover to cover in the word there is a pattern every single time and it's this the test happens in the natural and then you see the spiritual blessing like cover to cover i picked one story but i could have picked any story But I want you to look at the story of the Israelites. Um, They had been in captivity in Egypt for at least 215 years, potentially up to 430 years, um, you know, that they could have been in Egypt. So they'd had a lot of time to adapt to the culture of that society. It actually says when Moses came to rescue them, like the word, the Bible word actually says verbatim that they refused to listen. And how many times do you think uh, maybe that we ourselves are so adapted to this and we take it so much as normal and, and this is the way everybody lives that, that maybe we're refusing to listen to the word that has a whole lot to say. I'm hitting you with a lot of natural facts because I know that this is probably where I strength, my strengths are more, um, but behind me is gonna come some people who are coming to you some really strong scripture and some really strong word on these things. I'm hitting you hard on, at first on purpose um, because I know that I know that I know that it's for your benefit and for your good. And so, anyway, when, they, when Moses came to deliver them, they actually refused to listen. And that's the people that we don't want to be, right? If you're in that position today and you kind of find yourself in slavery for 215 years, I want you to know one thing, that God is always has always has been and always will be a deliverer. Um, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it, what it seems like at the moment. There is always hope. And he will always come through. But it may not look like what you think it's going to look like. And that's where this trust and triumph thing comes into play. Because in the natural, I guarantee you, the Israelites would have taken the shortest path out of Egypt. But that's not what God said to do. Um, They had to actually lean on his understanding and not their own. And this is where it gets so tricky in so many of our lives to see. Because if they had taken the shortest path, they would have ended up in Philistine territory. They would have gone straight through it. And where that would have put them would have been face to face with an enemy army, right? What they didn't know and have the foresight enough to see is that not only was someone going to be in front of them, but the Egyptians were gonna regret their decision and pursue them from behind. So the shortest path would actually have put them in the most trouble because they would have been surrounded on all sides by the enemy. And so many times, I feel like we're the same way. We kind of want, we think we want the shortest path out And we kind of, you know, devise our own plans and our own schemes for how to get there. And we end up getting ourselves right back into the place where we're surrounded on every side. Because we want the easiest path. But the easiest path is not always the best path. The best path is trust. The best path is leaning fully on the word in these situations. You see, this is what the Israelites said to God and—it says they actually said to God and to Moses— Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. See, sometimes the slavery feels comfortable. And I don't mean that, you know, ugly, but sometimes we're so used to it, it feels comfortable. Especially when you're faced with something that you don't know and you don't understand, which would be facing the Red Sea. We're not really necessarily good at that. We've, we've grown accustomed to the slavery. But leaving the slavery and facing the Red Sea is a lot more challenging because we feel somewhat out of control. And there's going to come a point when you're faced with trust and triumph where you have to decide, am I actually going to decide that the word is the final authority on my life? And that's not just finances. That's everything. That's parenting. That's your health. That's your wealth. That's ever your marriage every single area of your life what's going to be the final authority because it's not going to look like what you thought it was going to look like and honestly there's something that I think is so intriguing is God knew this as well but I don't think the Egyptians would have killed the Israelites I think they would have taken them back into captivity because they were profiting from their captivity and so all of the things that you know are trying to keep us in bondage they're really keeping you in bondage because they, they're profiting. Honestly, it's, it's for their own good that you stay weak. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's the truth. And I know over the next couple of weeks that this whole topic of making change is gonna be challenging. Um, it's just the first week has really challenged me already so much. But I know something about you and I know something about me that we want to be givers. Like, I guarantee you, if I had to ask any person this thing, that you want to be the goodness of God in action. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here, sitting here, listening to me talk. But I know, like, every single time I see the ad on TV for something, I want to give to it. I want to support every child in Africa that I've ever seen laid eyes on in my life and the ones I haven't too. Um, I want to build the wells and buy the shoes, and I think every kid should have a present at Christmas. Like, I want to live so financially free that I can be a blessing anytime God puts it on my heart and beyond that I want to leave a legacy and an inheritance for Caleb I don't want Caleb to be wealthy for the sake of Caleb being wealthy but I want Caleb to be able to respond to God too I think when, when Caleb is, actually even now in his, in his own, at the age that he is, I still want him to have the ability and the understanding of the goodness of God to know when to step out and when to hear from the Holy Spirit and respond in obedience to it. And I don't want his limitation to be that I didn't teach him the things of God according to the Word. I really don't. And I know that you don't either, because I know we want to be the goodness of God in action. And here's the kicker. We're not doing it. Statistically, we're not, and I'll show you that in a minute. And the reason I think we're not is because we're not in the financial position to do it. Where most of us are, it seems impossible. Um, Bryce actually closed the last service with a story that I'm going to get him to tell you again in a minute because it's so encouraging. Just about his own journey having to step into the place of, of paying his own bills and then tithing it. Honestly, was so, was so powerful, Bryce, that you shared that, and I'm going to get you to do it again at the end, but here's something that I know just from this congregation. You see, for the past five-ish, six-ish years, I've kind of overseen the finances here, and so the studies that I'm going to give you the reports on, we line up with almost exactly. The other thing that I've seen, and, and you'll understand this more as I move into the statistics, is you can tell by the lifestyle of a tither, that they're a tither without knowing they're giving you see these are just numbers but i have faces and so over the past few years i've looked at it multiple times pastor Stephen and tiffany don't really look at it but i look at it because you can determine someone's health by their health in this area tithers every single time rise above any single any circumstance in their life they require less counseling they require less benevolence um, they're more active in serving and, and, and being, you know, having the goodness of God come through them. Every single time, the correlation is like right there. And so I'm not going to talk about tithing. That's week three. But I'm going to give you some statistics about it because I know we want to be givers and I know we want to live according to God's plan for our lives. Who wouldn't want the financial freedom with the no sorrow added? Who wouldn't want it? But there's something that's blocking us. And here's here's what I know that tithers make up ten to twenty five percent of any congregation. Ten to twenty five percent. Now here, that lines up. There is another percentage of people, similarly, who are consistent givers. But when I say tithe, I mean ten percent of their of their income. Then we have another percentage that's consistent givers. We have another uh, percentage beyond that who are inconsistent givers, who they're going to give based on need. So we say we're going to do um, after prom, and those people are going to drop a little something in there. We're doing a building project, and they're going to feel led, and they're going to respond to that. Then there's also a percentage of people who just flat out don't give at all. But the principle that applies, is called, I think it's called the Pareto Principle. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but 20% of the people are providing 80% of the resources in a typical congregation. Think of how limited, actually, we are by that. I don't mean that, you know, ugly either, but... There are so many, so much vision right here. If you've ever sat in a meeting with her, there's so much vision in here that we're unable to do, so much goodness of God that we're unable to, to do because we're limited. We're, we're only serving, we're serving the 80% with the 20%. And I feel somewhat accountable to God, if I have to be honest with you, that we're gonna be accountable for some of that when we get there. When we're standing before God and he's saying, what did you do with what I gave you? I I wonder. I've not studied all of that judgment and stuff a whole lot. You go ask Artie if you've got questions about that. But I wonder. You know, I know that we, we get a free pass because of Jesus, and bless the Lord, I would have never measured up on my own. But I do think on some of us we're going to be accountable for some of those things, and I'm nowhere near arriving, but I don't want to stand before God one day. And he'd say, what'd you do with what I gave you? And I had to say, I bought a new pair of Birkin stocks. I really don't. It's, it, it's a painful thing for me. Here's something that I think is really interesting about these statistics, too. 80% of people who give to churches... You ready? This is crazy. When I read this one, I had to read it three times to make sure I didn't get it wrong. 80% of people who give to churches have zero credit card debt. Just proving the fact that most people want to give, but they're not in position to. So the other people who are not giving are not giving because probably they're having to give to Visa. And they don't feel the freedom to give to the church. So we can conclude that 10 to 25% of people who are providing 80% of the church's resources are the people who have no credit card debt. You can jump off the train right there or you can just decide you want to jump on it because that's the one I want to be on, honestly. Here's the thing, though. I'm disturbing you a little bit on purpose because I think the irritation is healthy. Culture's deceived us because we've been fed this lie that more is always better. And I'm not suggesting that more isn't always better in some cases it is but if one dollar is good then two dollars is better if one car is good two cars is if a two-bedroom house is good a four-bedroom house is unless you're the cleaning lady but here's the thing to grow up spiritually and financially we've got to really know one other thing we have to know and this is my final point when less is more And I'm going to give you something you can write it down or it's in your notes. But this is the most important thing I feel like I'm going to say to you today. Less is more when we have less of what doesn't matter so we can have more of what does matter. Less is more when we have less of what doesn't matter so that we can have more of what does matter. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says this, Better is one hand with tranquility then two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So the first thing we have to decide is what matters. And this was simple research. I just did a Google search. And pretty pretty consistently, hands down, there are five things that come up when someone's at the end of their life and you ask them what matters. These are the five things. Their relationship with God or their spiritual life, depending on you know, their religion. Their marriage, their children, their friends, and their health pretty basic, you guys already know that. The things that didn't show up are this, how much money they had in the bank, the square footage of their house, the type of car that they drive, or their number of their Instagram followers. The painful piece is this. Um, What we spend most of our lives pursuing are the things that aren't on the list. And so we've got to kind of ask ourselves the question, what matters? Again, I mean, we started doing this in the beginning of 2019 as a church, but in this arena, what matters? And I want to help you if I can, because we've been programmed to believe that what I have is not all that I need. What I have is not all that I need. That's what culture would lead you to believe. Because more is better. But more of the wrong thing is never better. And so, I want to give you three quick principles that I hope you can apply. And these are actually funny to me. They're so basic, they're funny. But this is how we live a less is more lifestyle. And the first one is this, cut back. Right? Anybody live in an older house, like a house that was built a long time ago? Nobody? So, something that you're going to find, Sarah, she's being funny a little bit. Um, Something that you're going to find in a house, like built in the early 1900s, and I know Marty does some real estate, is this, that They do not have, like, any closet space. Like, nothing. Everybody's everybody's a little older is like, yeah, nothing. What's funny now is, like, not only do we have walk-in closets, we have walk-around closets. Like, some of you could make laps and get your steps in for the day, right? When your watch buzzes you and it's like you need, like, 30 more minutes, you just take a couple laps in your closet. Because, and guess what we still don't have? Anything to Wear. wear. How is that? We have nothing to wear. Not only that, we have garages that are full. My dad has, like, a garage, and then I've, like, numbered his barns by, you know. I'm like, that's in that garage, and that's in the first barn, the second barn, or the third barn, and I'm not playing with you. And we're not even talking about all the other areas where he has things, all the pieces of property and stuff. Here's what's sad. We have the garage full. We have the attic full. And then to make matters worse, don't raise your hand, but so many of us have a storage unit. We pay somebody to store stuff that we never use, we rarely see, and we forget we have. Welcome to America 2019. Cut back. I find it super intriguing yesterday. I would have never paid to go to this thing, but a lot of people did right across the street. Did you go, Sarah, to the—yeah. So this, this um, tiny house thing, it begs the question— Do we need a lot less than what we have? People are like thousands of people were intrigued by the concept and showed up. And I I know thousands nationally actually live in that. I'm not sure that I'm that holy yet, but I do find it intriguing. I would rent that thing like an Airbnb for sure. I want to own one, not to live in. (laughs) Yeah, just have one for fun, like a playhouse. That's the problem. I am the problem. Number one, cut back. Number two, clear out. How many of you guys have ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Right? How many minutes does it take you to decide what you want to eat at the Cheesecake Factory? Like one minute for every page, right? Which is like 15 or 20 pages. Like I've never seen a menu like that in my entire life. It's like decision paralysis, you know? Like, there's so many. Actually, first of all, to read them all takes you a considerable amount of time. Their turn time there, any restaurant people, I guarantee you their table turn time is like way low or way high, I mean, just because people need the first 15, 20 minutes to read the menu. And so, but how about when you walk into a Five Guys, just like that? Three options, baby. I'll have a cheeseburger, a little cheeseburger with lettuce, onion, mayonnaise and some french fries, right? Because, because there's so many fewer choices. How about any of you guys remember, like I got a lot more younger people this time, but few of you are going to remember Life Before Netflix, right? Like when you opened the cabinet underneath of the DVD player. Now, Presley and Ryan don't count because they had like a million still. But, but you opened the DVD, the thing underneath the DVD, and you had like 40 movies to choose from, right? Like maximum, 40 choices. How many of you have actually turned on Netflix? You've scanned the whole thing, and you just turn the TV off because you're irritated. You know you do it. You know you do it because all those decisions, all those options actually have paralyzed you and wasted hours of your life. Hours of your life. And here's the sad part, that that clutter and that being overwhelmed with choices has left no room in your soul. Clutter has actually stolen from you just peace and clarity and the ability to make a decision because there are too many options. So we're going to cut back. We're going to clear out. You can listen to that. Marie, What? tell me her last name again. Kondo, Kondo, whatever her name is. You guys know. A lot of you guys know the minimalist lady. Clear out. And then the last one, if you haven't thrown anything yet, here we go. Pay off. Cut back Clear out, and number three is pay off. Have you ever heard anybody say, man, my debt helps me feel so much peace? Negative. Have you ever, ever heard anyone say, I'm so thankful for my high interest rate credit card? You're never going to. What you most of the time hear out of people's mouth is, I'm so stressed out, I worry about money all the time, and it's the source of the most fights in my marriage, right? Right? I want to go back to that scripture in Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. This is my favorite part of the whole message because I like stuff, if I'm honest with you. But better is some nice stuff that you own than a bunch of junk that owns you. Nobody threw anything. I think we made it. That's the worst of it. Better is some nice stuff that you own than a bunch of junk that owns you. You see, the richest people in the world are not those that have the most, but those who need the least. And you know that if you've ever flown out of this country into any third world country, the richest people in the world are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. And here's the part that concerns me. We only get one chance to get this right. You're going to blink and your kids are going to be grown. You're going to blink again. You're going to be at the end of your very own life. And here's what I want you to know, that your life is too valuable, your calling is too great, and your God is too good to waste your life on meaningless things. If I can encourage you to do anything today, it's this. You can go ahead, Mike. Refuse to waste your life on the things that don't matter. I want to read you a couple of statements as I'm closing. It says, this better is one handful with tranquility than the two handfuls with toil and chasing the wind. Better is one handful and an intimate relationship with my children than two handfuls and missing their childhood. Better is one handful and some really good friendships through small groups than the pursuit of things and no spiritual community. Better is one handful and some experiences or family vacation than two handfuls and no time for either. I love this. Better is a, one handful and a strong marriage than busy, busy, busy accumulation of stuff and no intimacy. Better is one handful in the ability to make a difference in someone's life than two handfuls and being consumed with yourself. Better is one handful in the ability to glorify and praise your God and bring him honor in everything you do than two handfuls in toil. I want to read you a scripture. Um, that I also heard this week a pastor friend of ours, Pastor Joel Sims is teaching a financial series right now too, I think he started last week and so of course when you know somebody's way smarter than you, you, you dial in, right and so I was listening and he has a church of about 4,000 and he identified some of the people that in his mind were, were prospering God's way in his church and he took him out to lunch and he said he asked him a few questions but here's the one that kind of stuck with me, he said, what's your life verse and I can't remember if it was two or three of them, but every single person at the table actually coincidentally had the same life verse. And it's this, from Psalms chapter 112, verses 1 through 9. It says, Shout in celebration of praise to the Lord. Everyone who loves the Lord and delights in him will cherish his words and be blessed beyond expectation. Their descendants will be prosperous and influential. Every generation of godly lovers will experience his favor. "'Great blessing and wealth fills the house of the wise "'for their integrity endures forever. "'Even if darkness overtakes them,' I love this, "'sunrise brilliance will come bursting through "'because they are gracious to others, so tender and true. "'Life is good for the one who is generous and charitable, "'conducting affairs with honesty and truth. "'Their circumstances will never shake them, "'and others will never forget their example. "'They will not live in fear or dread of what may come.' For their hearts are firm, ever secure in their faith. Steady and strong, they will not be afraid, but will calmly face their every foe until they all go down in defeat. Never stingy, always generous to those in need. Their lives of influence and honor will never be forgotten, for they were full of good deeds. Can I pray with you this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And I actually pray even now, as those words enter the soil of their heart, that tomorrow and throughout the week, that the weeds of life wouldn't choke them out. God, that we would take your word and that we would actually dig deeper into it. Because the deeper the root, the more plentiful the fruit. And so, I ask even now that anything that would hinder them from coming the next three weeks or would hinder them from from hearing and receiving your word for them in this, to, in this area. God, I come against it right now in the name of Jesus. And I say that we will be a church who lives in financial freedom and we're a blessing. And at the end of our lives, they will say about us, about us that they were full of good deeds. Because we know that you're not just blessing us with your goodness. You're here to be a blessing through us with your goodness. And so may it start today and never stop in our lives. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we ask this. And everybody said, amen.